0: (laughs) All right. Well, good morning, everyone. I will be moving this as we speak to keep up with the shade. So we'll see how it goes. I think I'm good right now, actually. So anyway, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 8. We'll be going there in just a moment. Uh, Before we even get started, though, let me just say a couple things, uh, kind of by way of announcement-ish type things. Um, first of all, uh, I want to just thank those of you who are a regular part of the Seacoast family, in person or online, and uh, for a few things. One, I just thank you for your continued prayer and support of the mission and the ministry of Seacoast. Uh, For those of you who are uh, giving of yourself as volunteers and our kids and youth ministry, hospitality, uh, some of our online uh, ministries, life group leaders, all the different things that happen, uh, this wouldn't happen without you. So we wanted to say thank you for uh, being a part and, and jumping in and being a part of what we do every week, even in a, you know. Everything's been modified this year, and it's amazing to see how many just figured it out, and we stepped in to continue to contribute in those ways, as well as volunteering in our community programs, like in the food bank and, and other places where we give of our time, tutoring and all of that uh, through, to the community. Um, and then third thing that I want to thank you for is just your financial contributions and generosity to the church. Um, in the month of December, we Forecast our budget is to receive double what we would on a normal month, which is a challenge in any given year. And uh, this year we've been running a little bit behind, which is understandable in the midst of, of our pandemic. And uh, But I wanted to say just thank you to all of you because we actually met our uh, December uh, giving goals, uh, which was a huge way for a huge blessing for us to end the year and, uh, and to be able to start a new year uh, with a little less stress for me as I look at that and kind of think of it. So I just want to thank you for that. Give yourselves a hand for just for participating and no, go ahead, this is a big thing. This is like double the normal, normal month. So, um, And more encor- encouraging than even the money side of it is um, in the month of December, we had uh, almost the exact same amount of families who contributed and partnered with us financially as we did one year ago and you think, well, what's the big deal? That doesn't seem like growth. Well, in a pandemic year, that makes me feel like, okay, good. You know, there's been a lot of people who've moved out of state. There's a lot of people who, you know, there's just been a lot of transition in this year. And to have the same amount of people participating in the ministry and mission of Seacoast is, is an encouragement to me, and it should be to all of you. So thanks for, for being a part of what we do. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about before we get started is, this is a Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Uh, tomorrow, our, our Nation gets to take a day to a day off for most uh, to just kind of stop But the original intention is to reflect on uh, the work that was done And you know I've been reading Taylor Branch's Just this giant book about the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s around Martin Luther King And uh, there's a lot that I didn't know stuff. I thought I knew and I was amazed At how much the church put up with in the south and uh, mostly the African-American church, but there were some of uh, the white churches in the South that really were facing uh, getting bombed, getting shot at, getting burned, um, and, and pastors whose homes were getting shot up with guns and stuff on a consistent basis. And I look at that and think, man, thank God we've gotten so far in our country. We still have definitely have a ways to go. But I think of the, um, and a lot of them who are pastors who were leading the charge, unfortunately not every pastor, I wish it was, but leading the charge of the civil rights movement, which was rooted in the heart of Jesus. And rooted in the heart of Jesus is a, a care and a concern for all people. And so when we reflect this week and know that this, we're reflecting on values that are given to us in Scripture that haven't always been lived out well, but it's rooted in the way God has designed us to be. So I just thought that'd be a, a good way for us to reflect and to honor uh, the work that was done um, in the 50s and 60s and to this day in our country. So let's pray before we get started. God, we thank you. For, uh, I thank you for your great blessings, for your provisions, for this church, for the ministry that continues on. Um, and Lord, we look forward to what you want to continue to do, even in a turbulent world. Um, so we thank you uh, for what you have done and what you want to do. Um, and God, we just pray in, for our country, for the division that still exists. And sometimes in some ways it's being created even more. Let us this weekend, even as we reflect on the life of Martin Luther King Jr., that we also reflect on just how it replies to all parts of our lives when we try to live and demonstrate the ways of Jesus as we're being transformed more and more by the Spirit who lives in us. God, that this is a life-giving truth. And so we pray that we'd be a life-giving community. And we give you this time now as we look into your word. Lord, would you transform and change each one of us here today? In your name, amen. So, as we get started here this morning in Acts chapter 8, uh, feel free to move your chairs with the sun if you need to. I see some of you already doing it. Uh, isn't it amazing, like, last week we wanted to be in the sun, and this week it's, it's too warm? Only in San Diego, would you say that? But, um, you know, this year uh, has brought a lot of frustration, I think, for most of us. Um, I, I might be the only one who's been frustrated this year with politics, I don't know, maybe just me. But as we look around, it it just seems like there's frustration in many many places. For me, the division that we see, uh, the division that seems to be intentional and, and that some powers that be want us to be divided people and want us to be frustrated with one another. It feels sometimes. I personally have been frustrated, um, just having you know a couple of my kids not being able to be in school for you know almost a year now. Uh, it's a frustration to me, um, and I want to do it safely and all that, but it, it's been hard. It's been hard to see. Um, I think for me this uh, yesterday I was working outside my yard and it just felt it feels so spring-like, if not summer-like, and it was just amazing. And it hit me that you know this is a time of year when I'm kind of in full baseball coaching mode when uh, I usually have a team we're coaching. Uh, I get to watch my kids play, and I get to coach, and it hit me yesterday that, wow, this is really feels like a loss in some ways, and still looking forward to having a season, hopefully this year, but you know, that was taken away last spring, and, and now it's just hitting me like, wow, this is a big part of my family's rhythms, and there's just a loss there, and so there's a lot of frustration, and I think for me, even more uh, frustration is when I look at all of these things, and we're all going through it in various ways, it might be at work and family life, all of this, um, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm ready for coronavirus to be over. Anyone with me with that? You know, I'm ready, I'm ready for it, <laughs> um, and I'm trying to have, a, you know, go at least a day a week where I don't say that word the whole day. I just said it, so I'll start, I'll do it tomorrow, but um But I think what's more frustrating than all of those things on top of that is we live in a world now where as people are dividing that we live in what's called a cancel culture. Cancel culture basically is if you say something or represent something that the people in power, or maybe not even in power, but have enough influence, and usually through social media, to be able to say, we don't agree with what you just said, and so we're going to make sure that you end up looking like the enemy, we're going to cancel you, and, th- and this is, I'm not talking on like a high level political level, I'm talking about individual people, teenagers interacting with, uh, with, each, with each other, some of your conversations that maybe you've stumbled upon on Facebook, things like that, where all of a sudden there is the, hey, I don't understand your perspective, so therefore your perspective is wrong, and we're done. And that's kind of the heart of the cancel culture that is really frustrating for me. And as I was looking, thinking about this, and looking at today's message, the title of today's message is this, Proclaiming Jesus in a Cancel Culture. How do we proclaim Jesus in a cancel culture? Because when we look at the story here today in Acts chapter 8, we're going to find that the original Christians existed in the ultimate cancel culture. Our cancel culture might be a social thing. Theirs was literally, we're against you, so we're going to cancel your life. So this is like the ultimate cancel culture, but we want to look at that. And the question for us is, what do we learn from them, and how do we proclaim Jesus in a cancel culture? So we're going to get started. If you have your life journals, We'd love for you to take notes if you'd like to do that. Take notes and messages, help you remember. If you want one of these, they're, it's our gift to you. We have them available in the guest services back there. You can grab one if you love to follow along. So let's look at Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8 here today and uh, get started. So Acts chapter 8, you would think I had that marked in my Bible. I knew we were going there. All right, Acts chapter 8 begins, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. So last week we ended where Stephen was a, a leader in the church. He was proclaiming Jesus. The teachers of the law were uh, in the Jewish, San, he, the council of leaders in the Jewish uh, temple were against him. Eventually they got angry. They stoned him to death and killed him for his faith. And a guy named Saul in verse 58 of chapter 7, said that he was standing there. It said a young man named Saul was a witness to these things. Now, the start of chapter 8 introduces us back to Saul. It says Saul was in hearty agreement with this. I kind of love that. It wasn't even just agreement. This was hearty agreement. This is he's behind it. And on that day, a great persecution broke out Against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So, let me just tell you what's going on here. So, this persecution broke out, and they're scattered now, it says, through Judea and Samaria. The book of Acts begins where Jesus gives a command to the disciples and said, Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth through the first seven chapters, the disciples are still in Jerusalem, but here we have in verse one of chapter eight, they're now scattered, and one of the places they are is in Judea and Samaria. Now, just so you understand where that is, think of uh, if Encinitas is Jerusalem, then Judea would be like San Diego County, okay? So, Judea was the region in which Jerusalem existed. So, Encinitas is uh, to Jerusalem, as San Diego County is to Judea. So we have that. And the, the, it's basically, we're kind of the same people. We can go up to Oceanside. We can go all the way down to Chula Vista, um, IB, all that, this whole region. And we're San Diegans. The only difference is Encinitas has better surf spots, okay? So, so but, but we all kind of, we're together, though. We're, we're the same culture. We're kind of laid back. We show up for uh, our church services, 10 minutes late. I mean, we're all in it together. That's, that's who, what makes us who we are. We're San Diego. Now, so that's Judea, but Samaria would be like the Orange County people. You, you with me? Okay, so Orange County, they're, they're, they're near us, but they're not like us. Anyone who's from Orange County watching online, I know you wish you lived here. Anyway, so it's a little different, but even more so for the Jews, what was different is Samaria was a region which was just connected very close to Jerusalem, but it was a region that when Israel used to exist as one united nation, when it broke into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Samaria would be in what was the northern kingdom. And through the years, which at this point was 700 years after they were in exile, the northern kingdom had a lot of The Jewish people had mixed ethnically with others, uh, beginning with the Assyrians, and so they were considered half-Jewish. So if you were a pure Jew in Jerusalem and you saw the Jewish nation or, or the Samaritans, you thought they're not truly like we are. In fact, we don't like them. They had a different holy city, a different holy like, temple area. They trace their roots to Jacob, who built this, uh, had this appearance with God at Bethel. That's in Samaria. We have Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where David built the temple, this, or where he wanted to build the temple, and Solomon built it. This is the holy place, not there. And by the way, we're, our bloodline is pure, not the Samaritans. Why in John chapter 4, Jesus was passing through Samaria, that would already have been a little bit controversial. He stopped and he talked with a Samaritan woman. So that story is shocking to the hearers. So much so that Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 9 called the parable of the good Samaritan. Why was that so shocking? It's because how could a Samaritan be good? It's a Samaritan. We don't like Samaritans. So Jesus uses that as a shocking story. In fact, To illustrate how much the Jews in Jerusalem did not like Samaritans, in John chapter 8, verse 48, the teachers of the law, the Jewish leaders, gave this accusation against Jesus. They said, isn't it true that you are demon-possessed and you are a Samaritan? So it was so bad that it was like, you're demon-possessed and Samaritan, that's equal. That's how bad you are, Jesus. And Jesus responded. He said, I don't have a demon. That's all he said. That was his response. He didn't even address the Samaritan thing because he thought, your hearts are so far from the truth. You are so far from understanding what we're even dealing with here. So in Acts chapter 8, now in verse 1, they're scattered to the region of Judea and into Samaria. This was a huge development. Verse 2. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. In verse 3, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them into prison. You know, it's interesting here. Saul is, he's ravaging the church. He's in hearty agreement with the death of Stephen. There's something of, there's, this sounds so extreme. And it makes sense because at the end of chapter 7, Saul is a young man watching the teachers of the law respond to Stephen with such passion and zeal. It makes sense that he as being impressionable and a young leader in their movement was saying this is how we're supposed to respond. So he's entering into houses. Now this is a, an unusual thing where he is dragging off men and women. That'd be very unusual to drag off the women and put them into prison. And it's indication that how in the church, and Christianity, there was this different status that women possessed, that they were a part of the fabric of the life of the church, which was culturally very different. And all of a sudden, even there, what we see is this hint of Saul saying, these women are a threat just as much as the men, and he's putting them in prison. Verse 4, Therefore, those who'd been scattered went about preaching the word. The word scattered there is this word we get for our modern word diaspora. It's this word that they were scattered to foreign lands. And it's also the root word of it is to scatter if you were scattering seeds on the ground. And there's some cool imagery we're not going to get into too much today of as the church is being scattered like seeds and, and you're going to see it grow in different places. So they're being scattered. They went about preaching the word. And oh, by the way, if you take notes in your Bible, circle the word scattered because that's going to pop up here again. Philip went to the city of Samaria, and began one of the prominent cities in Samaria, and began proclaiming the Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, and they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case, many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them with shouting in a loud voice, and many who'd been paralyzed were healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city. So we have this guy named Philip who was... One of the uh, deacons who were, and this is the new leaders in the church who were appointed a couple chapters ago. Stephen was one of them. Stephen already got killed. And now Philip is one, and he finds himself in Samaria. He's been scattered. He's because of persecution. And there's one little interesting side note. It's, it's at the very beginning, it says that the disciples or the apostles stayed in verse 1. They stayed in Jerusalem. We're not really sure why. But it seems that the Jewish people who were of Hellenistic or Greek descent or were kind of foreigners who converted or who were Jews who lived from a different background. We know Stephen was from Antioch. Um, They weren't Jews who were born and raised in Israel proper. It seems like those are the ones here who are being particularly persecuted and scattered. There could have been some ethnic thing going on. That's speculation, but that's why it seems the apostles stayed but they all were being scattered. And these were all Greek names who were being scattered. Philip is now preaching in Samaria and signs and wonders are accompanying his work. So there's some people, and notice it doesn't say everyone, but it says some who were sick or who had demons were healed. So there were signs that we see this pop up in the book of Acts several times that signs accompanied their teaching. So that's all of that. So what do we learn from this story? what does this tell us of how to be the church in a cancel culture? Because again, their cancel culture was, oh, we'll put you in prison, we'll beat you, and we may kill you. That's called being canceled. Not like, I'm going to shame you on social media. This is the ultimate. So what do we learn from them? And there's three thoughts for us today that I want to give you for this. The first one is this, how to be church in a cancel culture. The first one is this, be confident. Because God wants you to be his wherever you are and however you got there. God wants you to be his wherever you are and however you got there. Now, some of you are in places in life because of bad decisions, some of you are in places in life because circumstances have happened. Whichever it is, God wants to use you where you are and he wants you to understand your identity in him. He's, willing to, he's able and wants to redeem and restore your life wherever you are, but be confident because he wants you to be his where you are. This is what was happening in the church. As they got scattered, they could have said, wait, what is going on? Why are we here, God? What, how are we to respond but they understood, no, our identity has not changed. In fact, maybe our identity is growing because we're understanding what God is up to. Now, let me take this story one step deeper because I think it helps us understand. Okay, for those of you who like to go one step deeper, you like taking notes, here we go. I want to show you a few verses. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, it says this. God. This is the very beginning of our Bibles. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God creates mankind in his image. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the original story of mankind is God creates us in his image, and and that word image there is the root word in Hebrew that we use for the word uh, photograph, or even today it can be used for like a statue. And think of this, if I was an emperor and I was conquering new lands in the ancient world, what I would do is I would conquer a land and I would set up a statue of myself in that new conquered land. In fact, some countries still do that today. And you would do that to say, I am over this land. And the writers of Genesis use this imagery to help us understand what God's call for humans were. He made us in his image, in his likeness. So we are miniature representations of God. That's how we're designed to be. And the very first command in all of Scripture is there in verse 28, where it says, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So scatter out throughout the earth and represent my character wherever you are. That was the original call for humanity. Now, let me take you to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus, who is God in flesh, who gave the original command, says this in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I command to you. So what Jesus is saying, and what we call this great commission, is a repeat of Genesis 1, 28. It's make disciples, a disciple according to first century Jew, would be a student who looks exactly like the teacher. In fact, to this day in Israel and in other parts where you have an orthodox Jewish crowd, a rabbi would have a a student and the students will walk closely behind the rabbi to learn everything the rabbi does and learn to respond in every situation as the rabbi would respond When we were living in Jerusalem, there's this market we'd go to on Friday, which is the beginning of the Sabbath, and it was just crazy busy there, because you have to get everything done before the, the sun goes down on Friday night, because everything closes for 24 hours, so it'd be crazy in this market, and when it got close to closing time, when the sun was about to go down, or sunset, there was this rabbi from one of the sects there who would walk around with a bullhorn yelling in people's faces, saying, hurry up, close down, it's time for Sabbath. And he was like yell! he would yell in your face. If you had, you know, you're buying some croissants there, he'd be like, get home, it's Sabbath time. That was interesting enough, but right behind him was his student who was standing directly behind him, just watching everything he did. The intentionality of that was one day that student would get the bullhorn, and he would know how to respond to people who were breaking the Sabbath. It's taken that seriously. Now, if you think of Jesus saying go and make disciples, what he's saying is go and fill the earth with people who are in my image. Who's the image of Jesus? The image of God. So as we make disciples, we're going back to our original command of let's fill the earth with people who represent the ways of Jesus, and it's the life that we are designed to live. Now, keep it going one more step deeper. In Ge- by the first, So you would think Genesis starts that way, and all of mankind says, great idea, we got gotcha. you will fill the earth, represent your ways. That doesn't happen. Things spiral out of control. And by chapter 11 of Genesis, the world is a pretty ugly place where there's uh, murder and hatred. And there's just all kinds of things going on, jealousy, fighting, everything. And by chapter 11, look at this. I have it on the screen for you. In Genesis 11, verse 4, this is what mankind says. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be, you can circle that, scattered abroad over the face of the earth. See, the original command was scatter throughout the earth and make a name for your creator God. By chapter 11, humans said, let's stay together and make a name for ourselves. So in our heart, the desire is often, it goes, this is the result of sin, that we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to protect our identity. We want to protect what we think is right, what we like, what we're comfortable with. When God says, no. Bless the world, fill the world in God-honoring ways, partner with me in how you live your lives to bring my ways and my character to the ends of the earth. So mankind says, no, let's make our name great and stay here. By verse 8 of chapter 11, it says, the Lord scattered humanity over the face of the earth. In other words, you're not doing it, I'm just going to scatter you. And that was a story that's known as the Tower of Babel. So I've been thinking about this this week, and thinking of the disciples who they the persecution is what caused them to scatter, and to start to fulfill what God has called. And I was wondering with this question. This question is: Did God cause this to happen, or did He use it? Did what, Did God orchestrate this so that they had to scatter, or did He simply use the fact that they were being persecuted to fulfill His thing? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Does God allow certain events and circumstances in our lives to fulfill what he's up to? I think the answer is yes. Does he cause certain things to fulfill what he wants to do? Maybe. I really don't know. I've been wrestling with it. But I know this, that a writer in the New Testament named Paul, who used to go by the name of, used to go by the name of Saul, which you'll find out about in a few weeks if you've never read the book of Acts, He writes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Does he cause all things to happen? For all bad things to happen and then make something good out of it? I don't know, but he causes all things to work together for the good. So he's at work one way or the other. But what we know is he invites us to be present to be confident in who we are in him. And the early disciples understood that. So let's be confident. Know that God wants you to be his wherever you are and however you got there. Second thing is this, be encouraged. Be encouraged because the ways of Jesus bring life, even when they go against culture. The ways of Jesus actually bring life. When you think of how Jesus taught us to interact, this radical compassion this radical sense of, of justice, this fighting for those without a voice, this being willing to forgive even when you're harmed, to turn the other cheek. Everything about the ways and the life of Jesus are so counter to our culture. In our last week and a half or probably the last two and a half months or maybe even the last 10 years in our country, very few times have I turned on the news and said, wow, look it. They're really showing us how we can unite and come together. Isn't this great? Look at this great examples of forgiveness and understanding and compassion for one another. I love turning on the news because I find so many, so many great examples of compassion. Jesus' ways are counter-cultural, but they bring life. They bring life even when the truth is hard. Because the truth of Jesus actually combined with the heart of Jesus is this life-giving, life-giving lifestyle. It's a way of being. So be encouraged. The ways of Jesus give life, even when they're countercultural. I I think if in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, I have come that you may have life and have it to its full. We were talking about that this week in a teaching team, and we are thinking, well, what does that even look like? Sometimes we think this means Jesus comes to have life and to have life comfortably. Jesus comes that you may have life and never face any hardships. Jesus comes that you may have life, and when you saw the Powerball number last night, you're like, that's me. All right, I got it. That's what it means. No? Anyone? Okay. If it was you, and you did win, remember Seacoast? Okay. We think that having life is having the good life according to America. According to our Western standards. But Jesus' way of life is so much more radical, so much more life giving, and it's so countercultural. But it's a life I believe that is a life without regret. It's a life that is building relationships, not destroying them. It's a life of compassion and love and forgiveness and all that. So be encouraged because the ways of the Jesus of Jesus give life. It's worth living this way. And the third thing for us today is this. Be loving. Your actions will affirm the truth you are proclaiming. I guess you can see half of that. Be loving. Your actions affirm the truth you are proclaiming. See, when Philip was preaching the word here, he had signs and wonders that accompanied him. Now, I haven't been able to experience this gift of healing. I wish I could, you know, pray and see you healed. I do believe that God still works in miraculous ways at times in this world but and but sometimes we look think those are the signs and wonders that accompany our teaching, right? But let's think of this way too. What are the signs that confirm or affirm what you are proclaiming, the truth you are proclaiming? How about your lifestyle? When people watch the way you live, do they say, "Okay, now I'm listening." Or do they say, "Oh, here we go again." Here's another Christian hypocrite. Here's another someone who says one thing but acts totally different. That old saying where they say, you know, I would believe in Jesus, but it's his Christians, it's the church that I can't stand. Our actions need to support the truth that we are proclaiming. So be loving. We should be the leaders in every single place on earth where we see that people are hurting and being kicked down and held down Christians should be able to lean in and offer that love and grace and compassion and understanding we have nothing to prove we are sons and daughters of Christ we have our identity is secure it is affirmed in heaven and that's not going to be taken away we now have the freedom to radically love to radically forgive and to radically give of ourselves for others you with me on that With me on that, church? Come on. (laughs) I believe that when the church lives as the church, it makes a difference. It changes lives. The challenge for us is what are the signs and wonders that accompany your life? Does it draw people to Jesus or push them away? And it's okay if you mess up from time to time, because guess what? You will. And that's where we can model forgiveness, repentance, and humility. To say, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? I was being an idiot. Rehearse those words, especially if you're married, you'll need them. So, <laughs> The last thing is this. And I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way up. Notice verse 8. Verse 8 ends and says, So there was much rejoicing in that city. See, when... The life of Jesus is lived out among his people. The result is lives are transformed, and there's much rejoicing in the city. I believe a victorious church is a joyful church, a church that experiences all that they need comes from Christ, and it makes a difference in your city. You know, Encinitas has changed in the last few years, I think, for the better in some ways. There's a few churches in our area now um, that weren't here a few years ago, and they love Jesus, and uh, passionate about him. I meet with some of the pastors. We pray together, friends of mine, and I see that in our city, there seems to be more and more people at least getting excited about Jesus, which is awesome in this area. I think, it, I think we now only have like, you know, 63 more thousand people to reach in this city alone. I mean, we're getting there, right? We're like 1% in, away or into it. But what's cool is I really believe the city, our county, So if you don't live in Encinitas, our state, our country benefits when Jesus changes lives and his ways are lived among me, among you, and among me in our community. It makes a difference. And the city is filled with joy in Samaria, and I believe in our city. So as we end our time... A lot of this could be a lot of challenge for you. Maybe you feel like you are living in the cancel culture. Maybe you feel like you're being canceled. Maybe you're just frustrated and and you find yourself digging in against the other side. Well, Jesus invites you to give up that posture of the other side. He invites you to live his ways, to trust in what he's up to, to represent him to everyone you interact with and to let Jesus be the name that's lifted up to make his name great, not ours. So let's pray as we end. God, we thank you for this time. And Lord, for every time that we've made maybe this life about us, and in some metaphors, Lord, maybe we, we've been building towers to the heavens to protect our name and to make it great build walls around relationships so that we're not seen as the weak ones, Lord. But God, you've called us to actually scatter, to fill the earth and represent you where we go. So Lord, would you remind us, those who've already given our lives to you, would you remind us that that's what's already true? That's who we are. Would you give us the freedom and courage to live your way as among our relationships at work, in our family, in our neighborhoods, even in our church. God, would you teach us to forgive? Would you teach us to be compassionate? Would you teach us what empathy looks like? God, would you teach us that whether things are all going the way we expect them to or the way things are, when they're not going the way we expect them, God, no matter what the situation, God, would you teach us to trust you and to see you as the one who is on your throne? So, Lord, would you change my heart, change the heart of our church, God, that we may live your ways and see your communities transformed by the power of who you are. We thank you and give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we sing this last song and be reminded of the truth and just proclaim that, Lord, we are with you wherever you are. Just sing together as a sign, together as a church.
1: you are in the lowest valley yes i will bless your name oh yes i will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days oh yes i will Fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the way the same God is never late, is working all things out, working all things out. Oh yes I will in the lowest valley, yes I Stand against. I choose to praise to glorify.
0: truth to proclaim. Would you uh, end our time? Let's pray together. And I want to ask you to do this. If you would, just take a moment and and hold your hands out like this. I know it's going to feel awkward, but we're all doing it together. And this is going to represent that you will release and let go, and at the same time receive from the Lord. So to start off, would you just let go of the shame that you feel this morning? Let go of the guilt that you didn't measure up, that you failed, you haven't lived for the Lord enough. Let go of the failures of the times when maybe you were the attacker, not the forgiver. Let go of the anger in your heart this morning. Maybe let go of the, the guilt from your doubt, your skepticism, let it go. In its place, would you receive from Jesus? Receive this. Receive the fact that you are loved. Hear those words this morning by Jesus. You are loved. You are a precious child of God. Your sins are forgiven. Receive that. You are forgiven. exactly the person that God is making you to be that nothing can take that identity away that he gives you in his life so you are enough because Jesus is enough receive that this morning hear those words you are enough because Jesus is enough receive that as as a blessing and go now in the power of the spirit live the life that's already true of you go now in jesus name amen hey thanks for coming out this morning thanks for enduring our heat wave it'll probably be frigid again next week so it's great to have you with us and uh, say hello to one another let's respect and love each other in this place and we look forward to seeing you next week thanks for being here